0: As the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really thrilled to welcome Laurie Roberts Herbst to the podcast today. Silver Falcon and CIBA Murder and Mayhem Award-winning author Laurie Roberts Herbst writes the Callie Cassidy Mystery Series. A former journalism teacher and counselor, Laurie serves as the board secretary for Sisters in Crime National. She's a member of Mystery Writers of America, as well as the Sink North Dallas chapter and the Guppy chapter, where she moderates the Cozy Guppy group. Laurie lives in Dallas, Texas, and is a wife, mother of two, and grandmother of four. Laurie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm delighted. And I'm so thrilled to have a conversation with you um, about writing and publishing and everything else. Um, And so let me start the way I always start this podcast. When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel?
1: well probably when i was about 12 um my my mother always encouraged my writing and i loved it but i i just didn't feel from an early age i didn't feel like i had the imagination um so i turned mm-hmm. once i got into high school i turned to journalism where i could write about factual stuff and interviews and other people um and i loved it that that was that was a great part of my journey In fact, I so much so that I became a journalism teacher um, and edited and taught and taught writing and learned all the ins and outs of writing by by teaching it and doing some of myself. Um, And then I became a school counselor and really enjoyed the psychology. And I thought, you know, there's something here. You know, the, the fiction writing and the psychology really go hand in hand. So once I was able to retire, I uh, I decided I'm going to chase that dream, and then I
0: did. <laughs> it's interesting that you say you didn't feel like you had the imagination, uh, do you, and obviously you've gotten past that block. But do you think? What do you think made you feel like that?
1: Uh, well, you say I've gotten past that block, but. I don't know about other people, but every time I sit down to write a new novel, I feel empty at first. I feel like, oh, I've used my last good idea. There are no more ideas in the well. And then something else comes up, you know. And and usually it's somebody I'm irritated at, and I think, hmm, how can I make that person a victim? <laughs> and so and so my imagination just kind of takes a dark turn that way. <laughs> but uh, but I think I, I don't know. I always felt uncomfortable with people reading my fiction writing. I felt like it never was good enough and that I couldn't, I, you know, I'd read a lot of, my favorite in high school was probably Stephen King and still is to a large degree, but his writing was so detailed and descriptive and I just couldn't figure out how to, how to make that happen in my own, I couldn't figure out how to get what was in my head onto the page. Um, yeah. and, and I just took the, what I thought at the time was the easier route, which was taking other people's stuff and writing about it. So, <laughs>
0: Right. <laughs> Although journalism is, um, is a whole separate skill set and, and difficult on its own. And there are a lot of um, reporters and journalists who are mystery writers. I, I'm thinking of uh-huh. Hank Philippi e. Ryan as one uh-huh. of them. Um, did you have to unlearn some of those journalism skills when you went to fiction?
1: Oh, absolutely. I I don't know if unlearn is the right word as much as, as padding them or embellishing on them. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I tended at first to write very, very short, you know, very to the bone. Um, and I had to learn how to, how to create a world. Uh, you you know, when you're doing journalism, when you're writing journalism, it's all get to the point, get to the point fast and get in and out. And, and there's not a lot of building character or or the psychological aspects that I was talking about. You're just telling telling people the story of what happened. Um, and back then, when I started in journalism, there was a lot less, uh, I don't know how to say it, opinion um, mm-hmm. involved in the, in the journalistic world. So you were just who, what, where, when, why, and how. And, and that was it. Um, so I had to learn how to, I think being a counselor helped a lot because I had to learn how to combine those two, those two facets.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you said that in high school you read uh, Stephen King. Um, oh, yeah. When you started writing um, fiction, was it always crime fiction or did you write in other genres as well?
1: I write cozy mysteries. So I write, I write feel good stuff. I, I love to read over a broad spectrum. I read mm-hmm. anything I can get my hands on and I love to read horror, but I'm not sure I could be very good at creating it. I have some horrific ideas from time to time, but <laughs> I, I scare myself. <laughs> so I'm not sure I could, the, the gore and the gruesomeness. I, I don't, I don't think I could create that. Plus I really love, I love the, I love the simplicity and the feel good and the justice part of the cozy mysteries. I love, Mm -hmm. I got a, I got a review just the other day where somebody said, I just get so much joy out of reading your books. And I've never had a higher compliment. That was, Mm -hmm. that made me feel so good about what I was doing. Mystery. I love the puzzles. I love, I love helping, you know, create those puzzles for people to solve and throwing in those little red herrings and, um, and there's a lot of that in any good fiction, I think. But, but yeah, cozy mysteries are—it's uh, likely where I'll stay. Now, I did write a short story that was actually in the Guppy anthology, um, and it was not—it was not so cozy. It was a little body, and I enjoy that—that that kind of writing too. So I may continue to do that, but—but but I won't ever—I don't think I'll ever tackle horror. Never say never, but right now it's not on my horizon.
0: Well, we should for listeners who aren't uh, who aren't aware of a couple of things. The Guppies are a chapter, um, subchapter of Sisters in Crime, an online chapter, and Guppy stands for the Great Unpublished. It's a wonderful way. For- for emerging writers to figure things out, but it's also a group that a lot of people stay in because it's so supportive and there are classes and there's all sorts of support there. Um, And Cozy Mysteries, which I know a little bit about, um, are um, how would you define cozy? I know how I define it, but how would you define cozy?
1: You know, it's really funny because when I started writing my first book, I did not know the term. I was just writing a tradi- what I thought was a traditional mystery, um, and it started out a little more hardcore, I guess, than than it ended mm-hmm. up being. Um, but I, and, and it was actually the Guppy group that that helped me define the genre. Um, and I've listened to them on audio and read them all my life, uh, but didn't know that's what I was I was reading. Um, but I'd say it's. It's usually an amateur sleuth, um, often a woman um, and she gets thrown into some mystery usually one after another after another uh, and she the stakes happen and she ends up having to fi- help figure out how this how the, how to solve this crime. I think it's highlighted by a lot of times there'll be, I don't know, hobbies or culinary aspect to it. I don't like culinary because I I stay as far from the kitchen as I possibly can. <laughs> um, but there are, you know, there's some, some theme that usually ties them together. My, my uh, protagonist is a photographer, for example. And so her photography uh, is one of the, the subplots in most of the books. And, and mm-hmm. it helps her solve the crimes, usually. There are often pets. Uh, people love the dogs and cats in Cozy Mysteries, and often the pets are as smart, if not smarter, than the amateur sleuth. There can be a little bit of a love, you know, a little bit of romance uh, tied into it, but everything is clean, off screen romance. You know, the kissing is about as far as it'll go on the page. Same with the violence, you don't see. A lot of violence on the page, you know that, I mean, a murder is a violent thing, but it happens. She stumbles onto a body after it's already happened or something like that. So people just want an escape with Mm -hmm. a cozy mystery. I think they want, they want an escape and they want justice. They want a happy ending.
0: Yeah. And that's an important community is an important part of cozies. Um, and that justice is very important. Um, I do think that they are related to the traditional mystery in so many ways, um, because it is a puzzle mystery usually, or, or something holds together, but it's, it is a compact you make with your reader that you're, um, you know, it's going to end up all right that you're going to, you're main character and that community is gonna come back together disorder will be fixed and um you know no animal will be harmed (laughs) right all those things it's a safe it's a safe journey it's interesting because we're writing about murder (laughs) We're we're still able to promise people that you know okay so somebody's gonna die but they're gonna desert well nobody does but you know what i mean it's it's um it's not the good guy who's going to die. Right?
1: Everything is fine, except for the dead body. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually there's only one. I mean, sometimes there's the second one, but usually there's one. So, you know, yeah. Um, and you're a reader of Cozy's as well. Yes,
1: absolutely. I, I, of course, Agatha Christie, I think most people cut their teeth on Agatha Christie and um, which is kind of a bizarre thing to say in itself. Um, and then I loved, when when I was a young mother and I would be waiting in school pickup lines or for piano lessons to end or something, I'd read and listen to a lot of uh, Diane Mont Davidson, um, mm-hmm. Charlene Harris, you know, mm-hmm. all those, all those that you could, that you could just feel good while you were listening. I mean, I, I was raising small children and working full time. I I didn't have time for, a lot of hard thinking,
0: yeah. <laughs> and
1: issues. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, tell me you tell me how you developed the fiction writing skills.
1: Um, well, it, it was a there was a learning curve for sure, um, okay. and again, that was something that I got a lot of help from. I, I, w- I really wish I'd found Sisters in Crime from day one, or even before I started, because there are just Tons of resources out there, and it was a helpful way to find those resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'd done so much reading. I'm a voracious reader, that some of that just sinks in. It's it it's like comes in through your skin almost. It, so I I had a really good feel already for pacing and and character development and things like that in my mind, and then just learning to translate it and. And it was just a lot of trial and error you know I I'd write a draft and I'd think, well, this is pretty good and I'd go back through it and Bleh. and then I'd get a lot you know I got a developmental editor early on and mm-hmm. uh, and that was extremely helpful mm-hmm. and then I re-envisioned the novel and um but the fiction writing is writing good writing is good writing you know and and uh even in journalism, the bare bones kind of writing you're still concerned with conflict and you're still concerned with, you know, getting from A to B. So a lot of it carries over.
0: And, and how did the idea for your series come about? That's a
1: hard one. The setting came first. Um, strangely enough, I, uh, I love, I live in Dallas, but I love the mountains. That's my fantasy location is the mountains and we travel quite often to a place called Estes park, Colorado, um, which is just Northwest of, uh, Denver. And, and it's a little village kind of town. So I thought I would love to set. At first I thought I'd love to read a mystery series set here. And uh-huh. I thought, well, I will write it. <laughs> and, and the photographer, I, I knew I wanted something that I knew about. And so she was, uh, she's, my protagonist was an investigative photojournalist for a quarter of a century and came upon kind of a a bad ending to that career and went home with her tail between her legs, kind of to this little mountainside village. And, and so the photography made sense to me because I knew it. Um, and, and just decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put a murder in this little village and she's going to come out of her shell to solve it. And there's going to be a character arc there. And,
0: yeah. That's how it started. <laughs> and when you talk about character arcs, you know, um, did you envision this being, you know, did you, how, how far ahead in the series do you plan? Because, you know, this is, if it's a three book series, there's a character arc and then six or, or, you know, so how, how much did you plan on this series? Cause cozies are usually series; It's very mm-hmm. rare that it's a, there's a standalone.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, When I wrote, after I finished the first book and gotten it into what I thought was a decent shape, I had started doing the query process and I queried some agents who expressed interest and one said, let me see your series arc. And I didn't even really know what that meant. So I read it, I read up on it and asked friends and, um, and decided, okay, now, now I know. And then I, kind of sort of planned out the next two books after that. Um, <clears throat> but really, I'll be honest, I know what's going to happen in the next book and that's it. I don't, I, I'm in, in awe of somebody like J.K. Rowling, who has a whole Harry Potter series that ends, that she, ha- you know, she had to know that this was going to happen in book eight, when she, in book seven, when she was in book one. And I, I don't have that kind of,
0: Capacity. I don't think so. Um, Do you keep a series Bible or how do you keep track of names and places and people? Because uh, frequently, you know, something will happen in book one that you're like, you know, book four, you're like, oh, that I need to remember that person and bring them back. So, how do you keep track of all that? Mm
1: Um, better now than I did at first. <laughs> is that a, that's the short answer. I wish that I had known what a series Bible was when I started on book one, mm-hmm. uh, because i've had, I've had to do a lot of going back and scrambling from time to time. Now I'm much better at at keeping track of who's where and what color their eyes are, and you know yeah. those kind of things for the recurring characters. Um, and I write on Scrivener, so it's pretty easy to go back and say and just type in the search engine, you know, Banner Ratliff, and then it'll pull up all my references to him and I can figure out, you know, oh, oh, that's right. His hair sticks up or his, you know, yeah. he's he was 19 in this book, so he needs to be 21 by now and those kinds of things. But I, I make some mistakes and I, I had a and this really isn't a serious Bible thing, but I had a reader in. She's in the Netherlands actually and she emailed me and said I love your books and I hesitated to say anything but in the in the one I just read you had this guy as Swiss and then you called him Swedish and I was like oh my god oh my goodness I can't believe I because I read the book 1400 times you know I had a million re- you know, I'm I'm exaggerating, but I had an editor read it, I had beta readers, I and nobody had pointed this out. And she said she really probably only noticed it because she was living in a Scandinavian country and she, you know, but I and, and thank goodness for how easy it is to fix and re-upload things nowadays because I got I got it fixed. But a series bible might or might not have helped with that. But yeah, I've got it, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> so much to learn. Um, and continue to learn as you're as you're writing what's your favorite piece of writing advice you've gotten or you've given or both
1: um I think the best advice I got was to enjoy the journey you know if I start finding myself focusing too much on outcomes on how many books are sold or how many pages are read or or uh, who's going to like this and who isn't, and those kinds of things. Then I stifle myself and I and I start to dread coming to the computer. So when I just tell myself, r- remind myself that I got into this to create and to to be fun and to share some joy, you know, then it then it's a lot better for me. Um, one of my writer friends told me early on that Teddy Roosevelt quote, um, "Comparison is the thief of joy."
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I try very hard not to compare my books with anybody else's. They're they're mm-hmm. they're mine. I'm a unique author in this, and I you know they're going to be better than some and worse than others, and that's fine. It's all right. So
0: absolutely. And um, what's the worst piece of writing advice you've gotten?
1: Um, I, I don't. I'm I'm so thirsty for writing advice that I can't really think of any bad advice there's stuff that hasn't worked for me personally um but it might work for somebody else you know everybody's got their own process um but probably the thing that doesn't resonate that I I guess I feel guilty when I think about it is write every day um because I can't do that I burn out if I try to write every day I I write probably five days a week um, and then I don't write at all anything original when I'm going through the editing process and the revision, I'm, I'm just doing that. So, uh, and letting, for me, a book has to percolate in my head for a while before it'll come out my fingertips. So writing every day doesn't resonate with me, although it does for a lot of people.
0: Well, and writing can also be that percolating, it can be thinking or, or just, mm-hmm. you know, um I think that I'm I, I agree. I think that anything that says you must do anything isn't great advice. But the writing every day, especially for folks who are working full time or have families or, you know, other demands on their life, it's just not a fair thing to make people feel inadequate if they can't do. Absolutely. Uh, now you're indie published, um, which is a tremendous skill set unto itself and you know learning how um to run your own business basically mm-hmm. um what's that learning curve been like a uh, huge
1: <laughs> it's, <laughs> uh, it's uh it's for a long time I just felt like I was tumbling around in the dark uh trying to find the light switch and then I did you know there are so many resources out there that sometimes even that can be a little overwhelming. One person will tell you this way and another person will tell you this way and, and figuring out that yours is somewhere in between. Um, but I love it. I, and I have some of the skill sets already from being a publications advisor all those years. Right. You know, we did, uh, we did all our own marketing and, and I formatted 25 yearbooks over the years. And, you know, so I had a lot, I, I didn't have the fear of the, um, of the technical aspects and things I'd worked with InDesign before in Photoshop. And so I knew I could learn the technology. Um, the things that make some people shudder about indie publishing were the things that really I was kind of excited about. Um, but then there are so many other decisions to make. And that's, that's probably been the hardest part is it's, always some decision that i have to make you know do you want to do you want to do K- kindle unlimited do you want to go wide do you want to advertise on amazon or facebook or both or bookbub i mean there are just so many what about uh, blog sites and <laughs> all all those kinds of things so there's that part of it has been a steep learning curve but like i said there's the writing community i have found is so willing to help each other up it's mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a competitive for most people. It's not so much competitive as it is when you succeed, we all succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the shoulders of giants, you know. If I've seen farther, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. And there are a lot of people out there who who carved the path, who are telling other people the the little hints that make it easier for us. So
0: mm-hmm. it's. Um... Indie publishing is such a viable option, um, in, in more so than it was even ten years ago. I mean, the publishing field has changed so much. Um, but doing it well, um, you know, you mentioned hiring a developmental editor, understanding the marketing. Fixing a mistake, re-uploading it, um, deciding whether to go, you know, and through Amazon or go wide, and when going wide um, means using other channels to to publish your books. Um, because sometimes people will just choose to stay with Amazon because the algorithms and everything else. So that's a decision you can make, and you could change your mind. But all all of that is such um such a different skill set and, uh, and hard to develop, um, you know, what do you, what's, what, if somebody's thinking about indie publishing, what are the, you know, two or three things you just think they should understand and, and get set up before they embark on that?
1: Um, you know, I, I took the Mark Dawson, the series of Mark Dawson self-publishing 101 classes, and found that to be extremely helpful and useful and it's not cheap and that is something that I think indie publishers people who are thinking about indie publishing need to understand that is that you're going to spend some money if you if you want to do this well and right it, it isn't free a lot of it is free i can put my books on kindle unlimited you know i i can put my i can upload my books to amazon for nothing that that doesn't cost anything but if you want, we all, all, uh, all of us indie publish people want, um, want to want it to be good. We want quality work out there. We don't want, we don't want trash. And that, and you said that 10 years ago, um, I think it, I think indie publishing was seen more as like vanity publishing back then. Mm -hmm. And, and now I think we have to, up the quality, and I think we have some of the indie published books. Many of them, most of them, probably are are as good as traditionally published books. Um, but it costs, you know, to do it well. I I pay my developmental editors. I pay my proofreaders. They don't do their work for free either. I pay my cover designer. I uh, I, I pay for ads. I pay for you know, marketing places. And I pay for the Mark Dawson course to learn how to do all these things effectively. So there is some output of cash as you go. And I think Mm -hmm. you need to be aware of that. And you can spend as little or as much as you want. Um, But that's a,
0: it's a big, it's a big challenge. Yeah. and, And paying for the editors and the proofreaders. So developmental editor, Again, for folks who are listening who who may not know these terms, uh, is somebody who can read your book and help you find holes, plot holes, or you know things that don't work, or or just give you a general sense of you know here's what works, here's what doesn't, here's some suggestions, um, as opposed to a copy editor who will look at grammar and punctuation, <laughs> uh-huh. and then a proofreader who will take that final version and find the millions of mistakes and, and all of those are different. Some people have all the skill sets, but all of those are different skill sets and finding people to do them, as you said, that's part of the business.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The editing part comes pretty easily to me. So I, I use the pro writing aid and and do much of that myself. And I pay less for editing with each book because I'm getting better at it and my editor doesn't take it. She's, you know, she says, it didn't take me as long this time, so (laughs) you you don't have to pay as much, (laughs) but, but, uh, but I will never, I, I, I say, I I always say never say never, but I will never publish a book that I haven't had an editor for. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just think it's that important. So.
0: And do you work with the same editor?
1: I I have all, all four books that I've published, I've had the same editor. Um, she's uh, she's actually a sister in crime. She's Lisa Q. Matthews of she's got Kill Your Darlings Edit mm-hmm. Company. Yeah, she's wonderful, amazing, um, and and she's really made me a better writer with every book. So yeah,
0: yeah, it's important to have that community. Um, and as you said, you you taught you help people with this for a long time. So you've got skill sets that you could bring to this and you can advise other people on. Um, but when it's your own book, it's also <laughs> hard to do.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the proofreading is that's pretty simple for me. You know, that's, I can, I can pull myself back enough to see errors and grammar and punctuation and things like that. But you're right. The, the subjective parts of the book, you know, you can get attached to a character too much to really see that they're not moving the plot forward or that you're spending too much time with this person or things like that, that another set of eyes will, will help you see. And also I use, um, beta readers. You know, when I finish the revised draft of the book, I will get people who know cozy mystery books to read it and say, what makes sense to this in this to you and what doesn't and we all help each other. I do a lot of beta reading for other people too, but it's nice to have even more than one set of eyes because somebody will find something. And and then if you, if you get two people who disagree on something, then you kind of just have to make your own decision. But, but if you get four people who say this isn't working, you better look at it. So.
0: Um, And you uh, have written four books so far in the series. Do you have a sense of, of, how long or how many more books in this series? Are you thinking about another series or, you know, where are you on that path?
1: I'm working on book five right now. It it will probably come out in the spring if, if all the stars align properly. Um, That's my deadline for myself anyway, is, is a publication date in March. And I have book six percolating, like I said, in my head. Um and after that I'll I'll just have to see how this series goes. I have another series that's also kind of tickling my fancy and I think I'm gonna kinda go back and forth between them for a while. But if I find myself getting bored with Callie and and her little village, I'll quit because I don't wanna I don't want this to be, you know, a have to. I want it to be a want to still. So
0: Right people are voracious readers though uh you know cozy mystery readers want them coming i mean i'm I'm noticing you've you've been writing two a year I and mean, that's a lot to, to do and to keep up with um what's your writing schedule like
1: um it it's evolving uh i i just read a book um becky clark's eight i think it's called eight weeks to write a novel
0: mm-hmm. i maybe
1: i may be mangling the title a little bit but it was a wonderful book. And I, and I thought I can do this. Um, because I like to outline, I, I've always been a planner and a, you know, I I told somebody I don't go to the grocery store without a map. So (laughs) writing a whole book would just be overwhelming, but I find that I can't plug myself into a full outline that I stick with every step of the way. Um, I'll get to I'll get into a chapter and one of the characters will start talking and I it takes me somewhere else and I can't um, so if I have a whole outline then I feel stuck that I can't go I can't follow this person down this path so I have the major plot points outlined and then I kind of go a few chapters ahead you know I'll write yeah. three or four chapters and then do a little bit out of outline for the next three or four chapters and see where that takes me but I try to write. Right now, during Nano rhino, I'm I'm really trying to develop more discipline, and mm-hmm. so I'm getting up and writing two or three hours in the morning, um, and then doing taking care of marketing and those kinds of things in the afternoon. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you could do a whole conversation about the marketing and the ads and everything else because that's not uh, easy. I mean, that's that's um, that's challenging stuff for people to learn and to relearn Mm -hmm. and and the algorithms. But again, it's part of, part of the business. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and even, even traditionally published authors now are having to do a lot of their own work on those, in those areas. So it'll never hurt you to learn some of those things. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's no author who, well, there's some, but most (laughs) authors um, have to do marketing as well. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just part of, you know, and, and I think that's, you need to embrace that. I mean, that's part of, part of what it is. You can write and you, the writing should be the joy, but you, you know, the business side needs to be attended to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you're just doing it, unless you're just writing books, you know, for your family to read and things like that, which is a perfectly valid choice too, if that's what you want. But if you want to get your books into the hands of, of a broad range of readers, then you, I think. I don't think there's any way around it.
0: <laughs> um, your covers all have a beautiful golden retriever on them. Is that the dog? How did um, you know? How you work with a cover designer, but and dogs are always a big seller. But I'm I've got a soft spot for golden. So <laughs> is there a story to that dog being the star of the show?
1: Um, well, my don't tell the others, but my favorite dog that we ever had was a golden retriever um and just the sweetest friendliest most loyal dog in the world and so when i was choosing a dog i knew i wanted a dog in the book and i didn't know i wanted a cat until after the first one or two drafts of the book and then and then the cat the cat (laughs) made an appearance too and i've never really had cats so i had to do a lot of studying on cats Uh, i didn't ever dislike them it's it wasn't a I'm a dog person kind of thing. Yeah, I just never had them. Um, but boy, it's so much fun to have these two different creatures have the two very different personalities, and it, it's almost like having human characters in there. It's really it's really fun. But yes, this was a tribute to our our Rudy, I guess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And as you're writing, and you know, we talked at the beginning of this conversation about the imagination and being able to tap in. Does it surprise you when things like that show up that all of a sudden your imagination is creating this cat out of nowhere and (laughs) characters and, and all that? I mean, how, you know, is it wrestling with the magic is, is also a, fun skill to develop, but, but do you get surprised sometimes by what your imagination will hand you? Well, I just love that phrase wrestling with the magic. That's, that's (laughs) lovely. Um, yes. And
1: sometimes it can be a little, a little frightening even, (laughs) you know, I'll find myself tapping in Google and researching things that, you know, when, when the FBI comes and does a a scan of my computer, I'm going to be in, in big trouble. Um, but but yeah, somebody asked me the other day about are these where do these characters come from? And it is it's a very interesting question and one that I I can't really answer. It's they're just mm-hmm. in there, and the more I write about them, the more personality they take on, and and they go. I, I heard somebody say this before, and I went, Psh. but they do. They <laughs> take on a life of their own and go in directions that you that you weren't thinking. I have a character in who was in book one, her name is Mrs. Finney, and she's, I i, I won't tell you uh, too much about her because she's a spoiler type person, but I had pictured her as a one book character and she mm-hmm. just moved in, you know, she just moved into the village and set up house and now she's in every book and people Readers write to me about her. What is Mrs. Finney going to do about this? And, you
0: know, so <laughs> I don't know. She. <laughs> it's, um, they do move in, don't they? I mean, they it's. Do. it's <laughs> do you ever find yourself looking at earrings or something and say, oh, this character would enjoy those? And then you realize this character isn't real. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so true what what kind of coffee would she like what you know that's how that's how they become three-dimensional though
0: yes yeah (laughs) it makes it interesting for people who live with writers to sort of deal with the the multiple conversations Mm -hmm. what do you wish you'd known when you started off or what do you wish you could tell your high school self who was afraid of, of that she wouldn't have these ideas or you know what do you wish you'd known at the beginning of this journey
1: Um, You know, I, I, I'm not one of those who, who goes back and, and does a lot of retroactive. uh, I've been, I'm, I'm very lucky that I've been happy in every stage of my life with, with what I was doing and, and where I was. Uh, You know, I'm not deliriously giddy every day. I'm not that kind of person. I, I have a cynical side and those kinds of things, but I have been satisfied. And content with uh, with the, the place where I was in each stage. So I think if I were to go back to that high school self, I, I wasn't ready to have the imagination then. It had to take all those years of layering and experiences for me. Not mm-hmm. for everyone, but for me, that's what it took to get to where I am right now. So
0: I just say, be patient.
1: It'll come. It'll come when you're ready.
0: I also uh, love hearing about how much you are willing to learn um, in order to do this. And do you think that's the, the teacher part of you uh, understands the value of listening to people who know more and, and, and sort of discovering.
1: For sure. Um, I learned a lot from my students. You know, there's, you just take in all the different perspectives in the world and, and, if you're open-minded about it, you, you can learn from anybody. Um, Not all the lessons are ones you want to have to learn, but yeah, I, uh, I I think that's been one of my biggest assets in the indie publishing realm is, is that I love learning all the new, the new facets, not every day. You know, sometimes I want to throw the computer when technology won't do what I want it to do. Um, And then you just, when you feel like you've learned something, they change it, yeah. um, and I, you know, I published my first book when I was fifty-eight. So I, I'm sixty now, and I'm like, mm, I, I just wanted to stay the same for a minute, you know? <laughs> but but then it, then I find something new and different, and it's exciting, and I'm, I'm ready to go with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's being nimble, right? I mean, as a writer, and also as a as a as in the publishing world, it's staying nimble, right?
1: I think one of, the big, one of the biggest hardships for me is I'm not very good at figuring out how long something is going to take. I think it's going to take a lot less time, and so I don't, I don't allow for enough. I, I got a new laptop, and it probably took me two days to get it mm-hmm. to where the old laptop was when I left off, and I had allowed three hours. You know, so, so those kinds of things, it always takes me longer than I think it's going to.
0: Yeah. Well, and as you said, the technology, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, running a Facebook ad, you get it down and then they change everything. And you have to relearn how to do it. And um, it's, it's, it's something. Um, You talked about, you wish you'd found Sisters in Crime before you even started on this journey. So what has the organization meant to you?
1: Man, I, 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 sound gushy when I talk about sisters in crime because it's made it's made all the difference um in my career path and even as a human being you know writers tend to be very isolated um and I work here at my computer and I have characters running around in my head but I can't cry on their shoulder and I can't you know share a laugh with them and I found all that in sisters in crime um and and validation, you know, the, I'm not alone. I, I feel afraid of this thing happening. And three other people will say, yeah, I, I felt afraid of that too. And here's how I handled it. Um, So it's, it's been wonderful. And I joined my local chapter. And of course, my problem was that I started this journey right before a pandemic hit. So yeah. a lot of it has been a lot, of, a lot of the in-person stuff was wiped out for a while. But didn't Sisters in Crime adapt? Didn't they start doing everything on, you know, virtually? And I, and I was still able to connect and, and find resources and friends. It's, it's just been, it's made all the difference. Um, I, I, I can't speak highly enough of it. And the Guppies, particularly,
0: mm-hmm. uh, at
1: the beginning of my journey, were amazingly helpful and I would say I don't know how to do this and three people would chime in and say look at this look at this look at this here's a book for you here's a here's a webinar here's you know maybe you should try to go to Malice Domestic when it's back and those kinds of things that I never would have heard of otherwise.
0: How long had you how far were you in your writing journey before you joined Sisters in Crime? And So had you written your book and then sort of decide you're going to indie publish and then join the organization? Um, I, I had written
1: one or two drafts of my first book, and it was titled something different. It's, it's a completely different book now. It just shares a lot of the characters and the location. Um, so I had written that and I started trying to query, I went to a conference here in Dallas called the DFW Writers Con. And it was a broad range of writers. It wasn't mystery writer related so much and, and kind of figured out from there, the querying process and did a little bit of that. And then Bouchercon was in Dallas. Right. Um, and so I went, uh you know, I didn't have any books to plug or anything like that. I went as a to learn. I went to Bouchercon. I could take the train that was a mile from my house. So I, I did BoucherCon and found Sisters in Crime people there and started looking into it. Um and that's how I started on that part. I mean that's where I found everything. Every everything I needed to to feel comfortable in my skin as a writer.
0: hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm it's a um as you said you know writing is a solitary act but it takes a community to to pull it together um yeah. and you're also a volunteer and so i i, I to highlight that you know you worked with your chapter your local chapter you're serving as the secretary for the national board um you recently joined you um run a subgroup on the um copies um what because a lot of chapters uh, and organizations rely on volunteers to keep going what do you get out of volunteering and giving back in all these organizations
1: I'm a I'm an organizer I'm, I'm an organized person that's one of my one of my strengths is is planning and organizing and and having things in order um, and another one of my strengths is that I like people I like to be with people and work with people. Um, and so the volunteering just made sense. I'd been, as a journalism teacher, i have been the president of our statewide journalism education group. So I knew something about how these things operated. Um, and I'd volunteered with Dallas CASA after I retired, which is court-appointed uh, special advocates for kids who are in, in uh, CPS care. Um, and volunteering is extremely rewarding. Uh, you you just feel good about what you're doing and and helping people has always been you know teacher a teacher thing. Helping people is what what I like to do. Um, and giving back is is extremely important. When you've gotten so much from a from a group, it just makes sense to give back a little of what you've gotten. and hopefully, it's like I said earlier, writers are among the best people I know for lending a hand to pull somebody else up. And hopefully that's what we're doing.
0: Yeah. I find that the crime writing community is particularly kind (laughs) and maybe we work it all out in in (laughs) writing, but it's a a really good community of kind people.
1: Outstanding. Yes. And I don't know any other writing communities because all I've ever done is mystery writing. Um, but I I've been so impressed with this group, particularly for, for promoting the diversity and the the, the, everybody counts. You know, I have a, I have one of those Michael Conley shirts that says everybody counts or nobody counts. And I think that could be a sisters in crime slogan too. It's, it, it, I've just been very impressed all the way around.
0: Yeah, that's, well, um, we're grateful for your service and all you're doing for Sisters in Crime. Um, and thank you for a wonderful conversation, Laurie. This has Absolutely. been fun. It's been yeah. really
1: fun. Thank you so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community.